Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show, uh, episode 71. And this week, we're sitting here. I got two guests uh, that I've known, I guess, since 04 um, mm-hmm. is the official year that I just found out. But um, from Carmel Baptist, um, we have the Ratcliffs and uh, good family friends. And uh, they have a journey and now to date they um own cakeables which we'll talk about uh but it didn't just happen overnight uh there's a journey story prior that led up to what cakeable is today so i'm gonna welcome them allow them to share their story um and uh wake forest you know is uh playing lsu tonight as we record (laughs) this will come out uh in a week so when you hear this hopefully wake forest won hopefully. um but um we're not going to look at the score while we record it's being recorded he said um but welcome just want to thank y'all for your time vulnerability just sitting down uh, sharing your story and journey that the lord has uh given y'all thank you um yeah so thank y'all for being here um thank you as I say, you know, and everybody knows who's a follower. We all have a story. We all have struggles. And the good news is we're not alone. Right. Everyone's got a different story. Everyone's got different struggles. Um, but when you're going through that struggle, that dark time in your life, you feel like you're alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so the purpose of this podcast is just for listeners to hear our guests, uh, their stories and um, how they got through those dark mm-hmm. days and um, what they're doing with their life now. Because um, a lot of people who are listening, you know, might feel alone. Yeah. But um, having guests on allows them to resonate with someone's story and be like, hey, I'm not alone. Because mm-hmm. um, as everybody knows, when I was going through my stuff, I thought I was the only one dealing yeah. with drug addiction, mental health, suicide, you name it. But when I got to the other side, I realized everyone's dealing with mm-hmm. something, maybe not addiction or suicide, but they have something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, just want to welcome y'all and thank y'all just for your time to be here. Okay. Yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, yeah. Chad. So I'm going to just let y'all share your story. And as always, we'll just have a conversation. Okay, great. Great. So I'm John Ratcliffe, uh, as Chad said, and uh, I'm married to my wife, Renee, of 29 years. And, wow. And, uh, yeah, that's a long time. I'm 32, so <laughs> three years. And as we were saying prior to wow. that, you're living in the same house that you were in in 91, right. which is the year I was born for everybody. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're still in that same house. Yeah, so I uh, came to college here at Wake Forest, um, graduated. My parents had moved to Charlotte and uh, graduated, moved in with my parents briefly, and then got offered the opportunity to be a roommate with a friend in uh, the house that we currently live in. So So we um, met at Hickory Grove Baptist Church. And um, I think John graduated a year before I did. So he was already um, a member of what they back then called the college and career class. Mm -hmm. So he was a member of the class and I was still um, in my senior year at Furman. Mm -hmm. And I would just come home maybe once a month and I go to that class at Hickory Grove and John introduced himself to me. And um, it wasn't until after I graduated and mm-hmm. came back to Charlotte um, and started coming to the class more consistently that we got to meet each other and um, or really started talking to each other. And mm-hmm. I remember John called me sometime uh, 
in December of 92, I think. Yeah, I think it would have been 92. And uh, asked me out on a date. And I told him that I could not come. I would not be joining him on a date because Uh I had the chicken pox. Okay, so see, it wasn't rejection. It was, and I really did have the chicken pox. I'm not. Really I'm did. not sure he believed me, but I, maybe not initially. But I, <laughs> eventually, I did, I did eventually but understand. Yes, I, re- I really did have the chicken pox because I know that you had to go to a wedding. Yes, I in was Atlanta in a with the chicken pox. Yeah. And oh wow. So that was yeah. not a fun experience. Right, I'm sure. Right. So turned you down on the first time you asked me out on a date. So yep. But then Sorry. we re re. Tried again. I, I I wasn't one to give you up. You didn't give up. There I didn't go. give up. But I um, invited her to go to a Hornets game. I had gotten some tickets. Back when we were the legit Hornets. Yes. Legit Hornets yeah, at pretty the good. old Coliseum. Yeah. And now which is Michael no Jordan selling the team. Right. Yeah. So this I'm, was, I'm excited for that. But yeah, yeah. I think, I think it'd be good, for, good for term. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how far we go back. It's been yeah. it's been a long journey. Um, but at Furman, I got my um, degree in special education. Okay. So I came back to Charlotte um, because I applied to multiple um, teaching jobs in South Carolina and Georgia. I really did not want to come back to Charlotte, um, but I only uh, got accepted for our one job offer. I only uh, received one job offer, and that was in Charlotte. So I came back. And moved back in with my parents. I started going to Hickory Grove again, and John and I met, started dating. Um, and I was working at the time um, at a program for preschool children who had severe and profound disabilities. So um, it was a very difficult job for a new teacher. Uh, my students ranged in age to about three to five years old um, and had just various degrees of severe um disabilities um it was it was tough i mean was it physical special needs yeah physical special needs um just they were very medically fragile um i lost uh a couple of my students Mm -hmm. uh passed away so it was a very very difficult job anyway that you're going to take home with you yeah, yeah, for sure. You can't sure. just leave at the right, office. Or, right, right, mm-hmm. yeah. Definitely carried a lot of stress and a lot of just pain uh, for my children and for their families uh, through that job. So, um, and then John and I uh, got married, I think, my second year into teaching. Mm-hmm. And, We've been in 94. Mm-hmm. Yep, and... So don't give up if you're wanting that girl. It'll hopefully <laughs> yeah. it'll work out eventually. Yeah, yeah, we, we eventually uh, persistence got is key. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, um, and we, I think, have been married about ten months when things just got really hard for me um, in my job, and I just remember I took a lot of that stress out that I carried. Um, with me on the job. Remember, I would just go, um, I think it was called Fitness Today mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. I would go to the gym and just start working out. You know, I went there directly after school and would just start exercising. And I think I would get on the treadmill and remember, I would I would just be there for, you know, an hour. And then I started being there for 
exercising for more than an hour mm. and, you know, just really, I thought it was a good thing. Because was, that, was exercise, working out something that had been part of your life prior to that extent? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I'd always been... Um, and, you know, I still am. I was going to say, you're still in good shape. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. Um, but, you know, just how I'm wired, um, just my personality, I've always been really hard on myself. So I felt a lot of pressure to help my students make progress. To- Which can be very tough as a teacher, having students who have physical oh, yeah, and certainly. neurological, yeah. you know, needs yeah. that... Mm-hmm or delayed or whatever. And right. as a teacher, you can't necessarily, you know, push them to exactly because yeah. they're yeah. at a certain, you know, they're only going to be able to mm-hmm. neurologically yeah. be a four-year-old or whatever right. age, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you get it. So, um, so I, you know, was really took a lot of that on myself, you know, that I could not, control their progress and their growth um, and things weren't happening as quickly as I, the teacher would have wanted or their parents would have wanted. Um, so I took a lot of that, you know, to the gym with me and trying to work that out. And um, I do remember, you know, real clearly as you know, they had scales at the uh, fitness today. We did not have scales at our house. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, they had scales at the gym and I just started weighing myself every afternoon and, um, then I started thinking, you know, I should probably start watching what I eat as well. You know, I want to be in the best shape possible. So what think started as a healthy thing in that I was going to the gym, exercising to try to release some of that stress started taking more and more of a hold on me. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I could not control what was happening in my workplace but I could control how much I exercised. Mm-hmm. I could control if I went another mile or not on the treadmill. I could actually start controlling what I ate. And um, that felt really good because with other things that I couldn't control, I found something that I could. A dopamine high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. can be. An, yeah, absolutely. And I tell mm-hmm. people always drugs, drinking, porn, those are addictions, but there's other addictions besides those it can be things Mm -hmm. that people view as positive like working out yeah it doesn't have to be something that society deems as negative right you know it's something that using as as an escape from your reality or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be so working out can be one that i tell people and yeah um you know yeah yeah absolutely that's that's that was the case for me and and i started to realize that as i was starting to lose some weight that that felt like success and I wasn't feeling success in my job as a teacher, but I was feeling successful losing weight. So I was like, oh, I found something I, I can be good at. So um, just in this very strange way, and it happened very quickly, mm-hmm. I felt it did um, that before I even knew it, I was in an addiction. It really was addiction to exercise and addiction to counting my calories and uh, restricting my food intake. And any kind of um, giving in or doing something that felt like it was out of control, like eating beyond what I had allowed myself to eat that day, that felt like failure. Mm -hmm. 
So um, very quickly spiraled into an eating disorder, um, specifically anorexia. And it was, you know, such a strange thing. Now I can look at it back now and think that, you know, this, I was trying so hard to order my life, bring my life back into control, have order over my exercise and my eating. And that's the very thing that brought me into a state of disorder, um, an eating disorder. So, and I know it was super um, confusing time for John, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a new husband and none of this was ever on him. He never, ever said anything to me about my weight or my appearance. It was never, ever you. Um, it was just what was going on in my own internal world um, that I was struggling with. So, so yeah, as I was going to say, as a newly, you know, uh, married couple, did you notice the signs of the, you know, her overworking out, her eating? Um, what was that like as a newly wet? Because you want to, you don't want to, you know, to your new wife. You yeah, know? yeah. So there's, right. yeah, yeah. There's, he was but a- did you notice or what was? No, I, I, and initially I probably didn't notice maybe as much as I should have. But then there, there came a point in time where I thought, you know, something's, something's just, something's just off. Something's just not right. And then eventually I would start having people come to me and say, is something, is Renee sick? Is there something wrong Mm. with her? You know, what can you do? And at that point I felt extremely helpless because I couldn't change or quote fix anything that was going on with Renee yeah, because yeah. and well, anytime you would say anything, I would get yeah. very angry. And that's how it was with my parents from mm-hmm. the addiction drug side. My sister was, I would say, the one who's the most one or the one who practiced the most tough love. And mm-hmm. but my mom and dad as well, who y'all know very well. Yeah. I didn't want to hear what they had to say. And if they right. had something to say, it was nothing's going on. What are y'all talking about? My life's fine. Right. It's right. I, because I didn't think anything was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, someone going through addiction, you don't think anything's wrong. Right. You, I didn't think anyone could notice my mm-hmm. troubles. You know, I thought I was stuffing everything that I was dealing with. I thought I was hiding it pretty well. But to those who knew me well, saw me every day, mm-hmm. they could tell something was wrong. Mm-hmm. But when they came to me to bring it to my attention, it was a, a battle, a fight. And over time, it's just, you don't want to have that battle anymore. Right. right. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, and, and probably the hardest thing was, was our parents, you know, and, and, you know, I remember your parents saying, well, why won't she just eat? Right. And I said, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I just, you yeah. know, I, it yeah. was that kind of helpless feeling, yeah. but I would say it in, you know, this, it all came to a head one day, Renee was taking a shower and because she had lost so much weight, she, mm. her blood pressure dropped and she passed out mm. in the shower. Right. And I literally had to go in and, and kind of pick her up, you know, literally. And it was, it, it mm-hmm. was so easy, unfortunately, to, to pick you because up. Because of the weight was, at the yeah, time. I mean, they're yeah. just, she had just got, gotten to the point where she just weighed almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point that we both realized that we needed someone to intercede. So and, did and you at help. that point or maybe even prior, I don't know, did you realize there was an issue, but 
but you were that was something you could control whereas you said you couldn't at school right that you know you were right. able to control your weight and mm -hmm. when you're in addiction and struggling with something you just you think everything's fine right did right. you see an issue or know that something was wrong at the time or people were trying to gently ask me and mm -hmm. i really I was either angry and defensive or I was just in complete denial. Which I can mm -hmm. attest to both from right. my story. Right. And I don't think it was until I ended up in the hospital mm -hmm. after that episode, after I passed out, that I really started to think, you know, I don't think I ever really intended to get down to 73 pounds. So, wow. But somehow mm -hmm. that's where we are. And, and an average weight for a woman is what, 120, 130? Yeah, I don't yeah, know, yeah. but it's. When, when we got married, I was, you know, probably about 120 pounds. Mm -hmm. So. So you had dropped a significant mm -hmm. amount. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, you know, that was never my intention to yeah. be 73 pounds, but somehow that's what happened. And I, I just. You know, think that finally at that moment, I realized um, it was right before Christmas, too, which just made it all the more painful. Yeah. Right. You know, it's just a couple of days before Christmas when mm -hmm. that happened. And, yeah. um, you know, I knew I, I think I finally saw in John's face and in my parents faces, you know, what was happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember my mom asked me, why are you trying to kill yourself? And I thought, I'm not trying to kill myself, but. But from the outside, it, it mm -hmm. looked and seemed right. that was what you were trying to right. do. Right. Like for me, people are like, why do you keep doing these drugs? Mm -hmm. But for me, it was like, I'm not doing it to kill me. It's I right. need them. I, you know, it's yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think it was going to kill me. Like right. you didn't think you were going to end up in the hospital right. Uh, right. from a lack of, you know, mm -hmm. nourishment. Um, yeah. But thankfully, our Lord, right. he wakes us up, he yeah. smacks us, he mm -hmm. gets true. our attention in ways that not that we necessarily don't want. That's true. You know, you didn't yeah. want to end up on the hospital, right. 73 pounds. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to wake up after dying from an overdose with a ventilator. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, he grabs your attention, everyone's attention <laughs> in different ways. He sure did. So, um, and then so this began as a long road mm -hmm. of treatment and recovery um and i would take you know of course like we all say two steps forward and four steps back mm -hmm. and um for a while we um i was seeing a um a counselor that we could afford Mm -hmm. um, because that was who our insurance was paying for. And at this point, I was not able to work anymore. So um, my employer. Did prior, before we go on, did work ever mention or what was that like? Because, I mean, yeah. obviously, if you're 120, 130 pounds and you drop to 73 right, pounds, right, I mean, right. that's a very noticeable right, amount. Right, right. And you're dealing with kids who some of them might you know, have, you know, um, oh, yes. strength or mm -hmm. uh, what, I don't know, the right, right. Yes. physical where they might lash out, you might, you know, physical restraint, whatever it may yeah. be. Yeah. At 73 pounds, you right. can't No, I couldn't physically do, do my job anymore. How, how, did, right. how did the school, I mean, nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, it's very different. Right. But how did the school yeah, so. intercede and 
uh, deal with mm-hmm. what was going on. Yeah. So they, um, the first step was they approached me and said, you can't physically care for your students anymore because I mean, I, I was doing their toileting. I was, you know, I had to carry them, you know, transfer them in and out of their wheelchairs. And, uh, these were 12 and I had moved, um, into a, I had moved into, um, a new classroom where I had students that were 12 and 13 years old. So these were not preschoolers anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, lifting and carrying. Probably almost close to your weight. Sure. I mean, probably 40, 50 pound, you know, children. Mm -hmm. And I've heard nowadays, if you can bench your weight, you're in the 1%. Like you are. So if you're lifting and dealing with people Mm -hmm. that are how much you weigh at that time, you're. Yeah. I'm not even sure how I could have done that but at some point my supervisor came in and said you know we need to move you to an office position so you're going to be an administrative assistant for a while and i did that for a while Mm -hmm. and 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 i didn't love it but that's what we had to do for me to Mm -hmm. keep a job but then eventually i just couldn't even do that job Mm -hmm. so um so we were going to the counselor that we could afford and um just i wasn't making any progress Mm -hmm. with that at all Uh, Well, and the reason was, is that they didn't have any Christian foundation in what they were trying to, that, that, that was not the foundation they were coming at mental illness. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, mental health, mental illness, I mean, there's still a big jump that we need to get to, but, um, but back then it was never talked about. Right. 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 So, um, and I think, you know, at some point I told John, you know, this, this isn't working anymore. You know, I need to, I need to see somebody who really understands more about who I am and my story. And, you know, a part of my story is that a very important part of my story is that, um, I had been a Christ follower, um, ever since I was nine years old, I had been raised in the church and, you know, my identity as a Christian was very important to me, but in a, in a way, um, I had been living my life ever since I was nine years old as trying to be a good Christian girl, meaning that, you know, it was very important to me to do everything uh, just right. You know, don't disappoint anybody. Don't disappoint God. Live your life. The, le- the legalistic side. Yes, mm-hmm. very much so. Um, Perfectionism. Yes. Which very, is something mm-hmm. that I've dealt with, you know, growing up in Myers Park. Yeah. Yeah. A dad mm-hmm. is very successful in the financial industry, mm-hmm. trying to live up to his name. But then I have mugshots. <laughs> you mm-hmm. Google search his name. I got yeah. mugshots next mm-hmm. to his name. I got peers who are successful in their careers, yeah. who are married with children. And what am I doing? You know, that's what I've deemed and viewed myself as until I woke up two years ago and was like, I have purpose and it's different from their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I think, you know, for a long time, my purpose in life was, you know, just keep true to this identity that I built for myself as this good Christian girl. Don't disappoint people. Don't make mistakes do everything just right. And somehow in my mind, I just conceptualized God as someone who was probably just constantly disappointed with me. And that's how I thought. I mean, I would Mm -hmm. wake, 
I'd be in jail or a hospital, you name it, wake up or get released, and I'd go straight to church or whatever it was and act like nothing happened when I had just gotten arrested for Mm -hmm. burglary, you name it, whatever. And, um, you know, I was like, if only they knew, right? you know, because you have the legalistic side Mm -hmm. of things in a church, which a lot of people, unfortunately, follow that but yeah. that's not what our god right. you know how he is right yeah yeah i totally agree but at the time you know i had no concept of grace or god's unconditional love um so i um just but you know somehow i knew that my counseling wasn't working and i felt like i really needed to see a counselor who was a christian and who practiced from a Christian framework, because I knew that deep down what I was dealing with had to do with how I was seeing my relationship with the Lord. Um, So eventually we made the shift, Mm -hmm. um, and I started seeing a Dr. Nancy Waring. I actually saw her over a decade ago for um, career counseling. Uh, Yeah, Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I did testing and... I had to, you know, a cab driver, whatever you name yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still had no idea of purpose what I want to do. But um, recently um, was going to see a person to help me and she was full and one yeah. could only do yeah. via Zoom. And I was like, I need someone in person. So I right. saw someone else. Yeah. But she's someone yeah. who I initially saw. I think mm-hmm. that might have been the first counselor that I ever saw. Right. Um, in college or right out Mm -hmm. of college prior to going to counseling because I dated a girl who was like, I'm going to break up with you. You don't go see a counselor. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to counseling. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my first going to spill my heart to someone, but she was the first one to, I ever saw. So yeah, so she's still, and she's still there. And Uh yeah, yeah. She's amazing. So, you know, my first session with Dr. Waring, um, she, I said, I want you to read this book. And she handed me a book and um, it was called When God Interrupts. And I was so confused by that because I thought, aren't you giving me a book on, you know, healthy eating or, um, you know, how to, you know, isn't this a book about good nutrition or, you know, what is this? You know, yeah, I'm dealing with anorexia <laughs> not. Right? So, um, but she had me read this book called When God Interrupts. And um, it it had a just transformative effect on my life because um, the the author um, M. Craig Barnes his whole theory is that you know in life we are constantly losing things um, you know we lose people close to us we lose our jobs um, and ultimately we come to this place in life where we realize that we are really not in control. Life's going to hit you no matter what. I mean, I was at a funeral today and I mean, over, you know, through his health, it was, you know, time. Mm -hmm. Um, He's no longer suffering. But for me, for you, when you come to the realization of for me, it was I can't live how I was saying with you Mm -hmm. and you overcome that. It doesn't mean there's no more struggles in life. Right. Right. You're still going to deal with life. Yeah in the struggles of life, but it's how do you cope? Mm-hmm. You know, there's healthy ways to cope. There's non-healthy ways to cope. For me, it was drugs. For you, it was mm-hmm. lack of eating, over-exercising, yeah. and that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. And we finally realized that. That doesn't mean life's not going to hit us. Right. You know, and it's when life hits you, 
how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I started uh, thinking about, you know, okay, well, I guess I really have seen how my life is completely falling apart because I was trying to control it. And so perhaps I need to start letting go of some of those things that I've had such a grip on. Um, and then around that same time, um, John might remember this. Um, we were at church one Sunday mm-hmm. and um I was just feeling so full of shame and just Did the church congregation at this point. I mean, I knew they knew what was going on. Kind of, as you said, they had asked questions. Are you okay? But did they know the healing process at this point? I guess, you know, I don't know. I don't remember that part. I just remember, um, you know, people asking my parents, you know, who also went to Hickory Grove, does Renee have cancer? You know, what's wrong with her? You know, anorexia is something that, is a little bit different in some, a few other addictions in that it's, you know, very apparent. You can't hide that. Like for me with it. addiction, I mean, there was times where I couldn't hide the black eyes or, right, you know, right, but right. people could look at me from afar and there wasn't a significant weight loss right, or right. there might've, I mean, yeah. I did lose a lot of weight with the uppers mm-hmm. I was using, but it wasn't to, you know, with anorexia right, where yeah. someone can look and be like, oh, she's Something's sick, up. sick. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, there was a lot of shame just associated with going to church because church was that place where I was supposed to be the good girl. Right. And there's obviously something wrong with me. Um, but we sat in church one day and, um, the pastor, um, at that time was Dr. Joe Brown and he had all the lights in the sanctuary, which was very large sanctuary. It is a big Uh, sanctuary. Is it was it the same one that yeah. is today? It is today. Because I yeah. went to Covenant Day, and mm-hmm. so I played basketball over yeah. there, and yeah. was there last year for. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard someone speak. Um, a previous guest, uh, Mark Whitaker, his organization had a conference there, so I went and spoke. I'd never been in there prior to that, but yeah. it's a huge. It's a big. It's, it's a, beautiful. A big worship center. So we were sitting probably somewhere near the back mm-hmm. because I imagine I would have wanted to sit in the back, and he had all the lights turned off in the building or in the worship center. I mean, but he did have a candle uh, up on the pulpit. And uh, even with all the lights turned out, and even though we were sitting probably pretty far in the back, we could still see the candle burning. And that was the whole point of his message. And he even said, I feel like there's someone here today who really needs to hear this. And he quoted a verse um, from Isaiah 43 that says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not snuff out. And the he in that verse, of course, is referring to God. And uh, so the uh, Pastor Brown's point was that you may feel like, you know, you are you are about to be extinguished. You know, you your your life is almost at its very end. Um, You feel bruised and you feel broken, Um, but God sees you and you're not alone. And um, that was just such a life-changing moment for me Mm -hmm. because I just felt the Lord speak to me very clearly in that moment and say, I don't think you failed. You know, I'm not taking away my love for you. I'm not disappointed in you. I love you. And I just want to see you be well again. Because he could have. Called you home the day you went to the hospital at 73 yeah. pounds. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he could Just have. like he could have mm-hmm. called me home April 24th when I overdosed and died. Yeah. I got revived. 
Mm-hmm. He could have called me home, but he didn't. So that's right. proof that we both have purpose. Right, right. And that, and but that you that don't moment. always see it at yeah. that moment, but over yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And 30 years mm-hmm. from that moment, yeah. you know. I knew you something had shifted inside my heart at that moment. Um, so, you know, that um, moment, uh, along with reading the book and just having counseling with Dr. Waring, I started slowly, started letting go of that fear and that stronghold that anorexia had had on me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, John was along with me in a lot of these sessions, just, you know, being supportive. And, you know, because this was very difficult on our marriage because for a long time, I did not see John as my husband. I saw him as my food police. Mm -hmm. Which puts a big strain in a marriage. I would think I've never Mm -hmm. been married, but I, (laughs) you want your wife to be healthy and you're seeing him as, as you said, the food police Mm -hmm. and you're, He's trying to help you yeah. get healthy. He loves mm-hmm. his wife. He wants the best for her. But then you're like, I'm yeah. doing what I need. But right. you might not have been. You might. Have, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, it was I realized that it that my voice was not the voice she needed to hear. It was that I needed to help assemble the voices around her and allow them to speak truth into her. And just for me to just help support that effort you know Mm -hmm. because me telling her something was going to come across right and it was hard i mean i'm sure i did too many times but you know it was trying to allow the people that were having an impact on her to have that impact and just keep encouraging you know staying with the people that were Mm -hmm. speaking truth and and life that you know were helping you come back right from yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. How was it as a newlywed, newly couple, y'all's parents? Your parents wanting the best for you as their daughter. Yeah. Your yeah. parents, John, as their daughter-in-law wanting the best for you as their son and the relationship. What was that like? Yeah. It was, was it, it was challenging, was you know, hard. because Renee's yeah. parents would talk to me a lot. You know, what, you know. What, what needs to be done? What can we do? You know, and but I think eventually after some of those milestones and, and they started seeing, you know, improvement and, you know, you could see it probably. I don't know if they could see it more than physically, but they could they could see that something was changing. Right. And I think once they saw that, they understood that, you know, because neither of them had any idea, nor did I what anorexia was or how it could impact, you know. You know, most times you hear it's a it's a teen girl. It's in the nineties. It probably wasn't that much talked about. Yeah, I don't especially. Know. I mean, well, yeah, especially for someone in her twenties. I mean, I felt so much shame because I thought anorexia is only is something that only happens to girls who are fourteen and fifteen. Yeah, dealing with yeah. self image mm-hmm. at right. school peers. Right, right. And not I didn't dealing fit that. with yeah work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the yeah. perfectionism is right. the, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but then my dad, um, was diagnosed with cancer, um, while I was taking baby steps in my recovery. Mm -hmm. And, um, I do remember that my counselor and my doctors were talking to me about going on any anti-anxiety medication. And I was very resistant to that because I thought, you know, Christians don't do that. If only I prayed enough, if only I were strong enough, if I were a better Christian, then I wouldn't have to go on this medication. Those were all the Which things. are all lies. Of mm-hmm. course. Yes, but, very much. But I mean, I, this is what now I was telling you know, myself. But at the time, it's, yeah. 
Yeah. Now I see them, <laughs> the clear lies that they are. But that's what, that's the kind of way I was talking to myself. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I remember another very clear moment. Um, there haven't been many moments where I felt like God was clearly mm-hmm. talking to me. But then that, that time in the worship center and then another time I was sitting with my dad um, as he was getting chemo. And um, I was just wrestling with this whole idea about going on um, and anti-anxiety medications. And very clearly, I felt the Lord say to me, your dad is receiving chemo. And this is a hard thing, but this is what the steps he needs to take to be well. You need to give this medication a try to be well. Because chemo is helping your dad, and that's medication. Right. I was willing for him to do that to be well. And it's like, well, I'm not going to do it for myself. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. So I felt very clearly in that moment that it was going to be okay. And I let go of that. And I let go of all my preconceived ideas about taking medication. And um, and in that moment in my life, when I decided to go ahead and do that, it, mm-hmm. it really did help, mm-hmm. you know, being able to start feeding my brain again, as well as my body. Because um, food, nutrition, it doesn't just give you, you know, it doesn't grow you, give you physical. It also is Right. And I'm starving my brain. When I was at Hopeway, we had a um, <laughs> cooking, not cooking class, but a, I don't know, whatever you want to call uh, okay. it. But they <clears throat> would talk to us about different diets, Mediterranean. Okay. I can't remember the other ones. Uh. But the food nutrition you put into your body right. and what it does neurologically mm-hmm. as well. Right. Um, which is something I never thought of prior to being at Hopeway. And mm-hmm. it's, well, I'll put this into my body. It does this, right. you know, I never thought of that prior. Yeah. Yeah. So I was taking baby steps to start feeding my brain again and start, you know, letting myself be open to the idea of taking medication, going to counseling, doing all these things that I thought I had a stigma against, but this is what, this was the Lord's way of helping me be well mm-hmm. again. Um, and so, you know, it was really a five-year process. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the beginning, for listeners, the beginning of y'all's marriage, mm-hmm. too. This is probably yeah. or two years like or 95 to... Yeah, we were married in 94, and I was diagnosed in 95. Yeah, so it's probably right at... 2000 and people yeah. say the first year of marriage is the hardest but y'all <laughs> right so yeah. i mean if yeah. y'all can make it, anyone can make it yeah yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah yeah so john was just um just so loving supportive patient i was gonna say he's a very patient person <laughs> yes, very yes. kind and easygoing mm-hmm. and very persevering you know just stuck with me through the whole ugly but redemptive process yeah. um And then, you know, finally, you know, about five years through that whole process, um, I started thinking, well, you know, I've received so much um, in the way of transformation and life change that came as God's gift to me through a Christian counselor. I think I might like to go back to school and study counseling. Something that I'm... Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you experience that kind of redemption and that kind of healing, um, you're able to relate, yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. put yourself in their shoes mm-hmm. and be like, I've been where you're right. at, right? For me, I'm at the rescue mission now, I've been in jail, I've dealt with the overdose, I've dealt with you name it, mm-hmm. I know what you're going through, right. whereas you, yeah. you can. I know what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like, you know, perhaps 
I, I had started uh, leading some support groups mm-hmm. out of my home, um, but just I would sit down with a book and, you know, two or three ladies in my home. Um, these ladies were also struggling with anorexia. And um, then I started thinking, I, I feel like I need to be better equipped. I mean, this mm-hmm. is great, but, you know, I feel like um, I need some training. <laughs> so, um John was so supportive. Um, together, we decided that uh, I would start going to Gordon Conwell Seminary and get a degree in Christian counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, was probably what about a, a year in, mm-hmm. maybe a year and a half into taking my classes, mm-hmm. and um, we discovered that we uh, were expecting Caroline, and which was a surprise mm-hmm. because you know for a while doctors have been telling us that you might not of, be. Yeah. I would assume just mm-hmm. based with the health mm-hmm. yeah. concerns in yeah. the past. Yeah. yeah, doctors have been saying, you know, just very no guarantees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you may a true not be able. blessing, miracle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. we we um, discovered that we were um, expecting Caroline. Uh, she was born in two thousand two, and I just found out she's going to be a senior at Firm, which I can't believe. Right, right. <laughs> Makes me feel old. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. Um, but. Um, so long story short, it ended up taking me 11 years to get my counseling degree. You got it done though. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, cause it was just very hard to have a little one at home and, um, I, I can imagine yeah, try to, um, <laughs> try to be pursuing that degree. So we took a break for a while and then 11 years later, I finally got my counseling degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, just didn't really have a a clear sense of where God was leading after Mm -hmm. that. Um, Tried different things, tried to work at the hospital, but that just didn't seem to be a good fit Uh, as a chaplain, tried to work as Mm -hmm. a chaplain. I mean, that's a tough, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I've had Mm -hmm. chaplains talk to me many times in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So that just didn't seem to be a good fit. Um, But then um, we were approached uh, by another couple at Carmel who were leading mission trips to Albania. Mm. Or they were going to lead a mission, their first mission trip to Albania. And they approached us because they had heard, we didn't even know them yet, but uh, they had heard that I had received a degree in counseling and they were looking for people who were experienced or who had a background or some sort of education in counseling. They were looking for such people uh, to go with them to Albania. So that's how the Albania part of our story started. Um, So... Ended up uh, going on that trip to Albania. And then the next time I went back uh, for my second trip, I took John and Caroline with me. And all told, I think we took eight trips. Eight trips. So how old was Caroline to Albania? your first trip? <coughs> uh, she was... 12 or 13? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it... She was, was it 14? Yeah, I think it was 2014 was the first year that we went together yeah, as a right. family. That's right. Because so, we went five consecutive years with the last year being 2019 and Renee couldn't go because she felt like her mom needed needed more, needed someone to be, right. you know, home, you know, and not halfway around the world right. at that time. So that was so my, we I've been out of college for a year. It's crazy mm-hmm. to think at yeah. that point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we went on eight different Mission trips to Albania, just thanks to God's grace. What was the purpose um, of those, just real quick? Was it gospel or was it mm-hmm. yeah. medical or? So initially, uh, the first trip started by um, going to orphanages and serving the children and uh, the teams, the mm-hmm. staff 
mm-hmm. uh, who were at those orphanages. And uh, we also worked with a, a crisis pregnancy mm-hmm. ministry in Albania and um, did some other children's programs. Um, mm-hmm. We worked at a camp one summer. Right. Um, then we did almost like a vacation Bible school for a church over there mm-hmm. for their kids for a week. And then I think the last trip when Renee didn't go with us and it was just Caroline and I, and um, we did an English camp, um, mm. you know, kind of like, you know, teaching English to yeah. um, probably age 12 to like right. young 20s. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, in a church, we probably had, I don't know, 30 or 40 there every day. Wow. So we did a lot of different things over mm-hmm. time. So it wasn't necessarily the same yeah. mission every time. It was different. Right. Yeah. 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 But we always went with Aryan and Wendy. Skandari, who were the leaders of our trip and um, just such great experiences. God moving in our own hearts and Caroline's heart. Um, and that's your only daughter as well, right, which is right, a blessing, right. miracles mm-hmm. yeah, again. We, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, such a such blessings to be able to participate in those trips as a family. But as you know, being a single income family, uh, not easy to take those trips um, yeah. uh, financially without without a lot of financial help. Exactly. Um, so somewhere along the way in that journey, we discovered, um, well, you know, I think it was actually through Christy Buttles. Mm-hmm. Who was episode 49 <laughs> on here, I believe. Right, so if you're yeah. listening and want to go mm-hmm. listen to her story. Right. It's a two-parter, uh, episode 49. <laughs> yep, yep. And then she's got her own podcast. uh Real deep stuff. Right, if you want to right, check it out, yeah. and then also, I'm going to Guyana with her uh, mid July. Oh, so cool. um, yeah, and I'm going to share my testimony in the prisons, but it's a gospel ministry down there. Um, so it's it's cool. Yeah, to see how you know connections. Charlotte is a big city, but small city as right. well, and and then Carmel Baptist as well, right. but right. Yeah, so Christy was the one who introduced me to the idea of fundraising through baking. And she, ba- I was going to say, she's baking mm-hmm. for Guyana, or has been, I don't know if she still is, but mm-hmm. baking for Guyana for yeah. graduations and different stuff. So, mm-hmm. yep, yep. So, um, so we started baking as part of our fundraising and raised close to $20,000 in support. Hold on, 20000 through, through baking. Oh, it was, it was over that. I mean, the trips mm-hmm. were many times. Two to three thousand dollars per person. Yeah, because I've been on mission trips. Like I've been to Kenya twice, and those were thirty five hundred. And I think Guyana's two thousand, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so, right. We, so y'all, honey, y'all made over twenty thousand right, from baking. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. So. Jeez. And we did that for several years, and God was just so gracious to us. Um, you know, people would pay us for a dozen cookies, but they would also be much more generous. Exactly. Yeah, than that. but. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, um, eventually, um, it was in 2018. I just remember thinking, um, perhaps it's time to start using baking in a different sort of, sort of way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had an opportunity to bake for our, um, church's mosaic ministry, which has a foster care ministry and they were having an event and they asked me to bake for it. So I baked for that. And I just remember feeling a prompting in my spirit that perhaps it's time to start baking, uh, to make some kind of local impact. Mm -hmm. And, um, did you enjoy baking prior? Like, yeah. Or did it just come about? 
She started baking when Caroline was young. She started with like a birthday cake. Yeah. And so it kind of began. She baked all of Caroline's birthday cakes and just kind of developed as a hobby yeah. and just, you know, just yeah. really enjoyed, you mm-hmm. know, baking and doing cakes for people and for, you know, celebrations for family and things yeah. like that. So it was more kind of a hobby. And then, you know, it was God's prompting and, you know, probably even before 2013 to, you know, use that as a way to bake, to support, you know, missions. And, you know, the funny thing about it is that I understand it now, but, you know, how do you go from having an eating disorder to having a baking hobby so much so that you're baking to, you know, to this level? Mm -hmm. Um, I understand it in that while I was not eating, you know, when I was, you know, really struggling with anorexia, I don't know if you remember this, John, but I would go to the library and I would check out stacks of cookbooks. <laughs> this is during your anorexia? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would bring them home and I would just read through cookbooks. And mm-hmm. and now I, I didn't understand why then, but I understand now that it was my way of taking in food without taking in food. Mm. But I came obsessed with reading cookbooks and I knew everything, you know, there was about baking techniques. And that was the Lord starting. Right. Isn't that which only the way that it's hard can. for people to realize right. that when mm-hmm. you're going through. Right. You know, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this very mm-hmm. funny way. <laughs> that is it's I don't want to say a full a half circle because <laughs> yes. right, you're not right. back to the anorexia. So one. Yeah. 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 So. um so my fascination with baking, you know, led into all of this. Mm-hmm. So, um, what is now cake? But you were, right. yeah, you were yeah. 2018 is when you, you yeah. know, got the desire to, so she realized, she's told me this, that so many of our friends who have a child with an intellectual or developmental disability, when they get to age 21 in the public school system, they They're age out. out. Yeah. So they age out at 21. And while there are lots of recreational and, you know, kind of, you know, fun things to do. Yeah. There was very little in the way of vocational opportunities and for they those. need that as mm-hmm. afterward, because when their parents, unfortunately, pass on, what do they do? Mm-hmm. You know, right. yeah, right. they're yeah. in a group home there, mm-hmm. but there's more than just a group home. Right, right. So. Um, I think one day, just kind of out of the blue, it occurred to us, another probably prompting by the Holy Spirit, that baking is an employable skill. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) if we can teach someone how to bake, then we can help them take steps toward getting a job. Mm -hmm. And you've been baking since the early or mm -hmm. mid-90s. Yep, yep. So Early um, 2000s. We started having some young ladies come to our house and I would teach them some baking skills. And um, a a couple of them um, had autism. Uh, One young lady um, lived with Down syndrome and uh, but they loved baking and we had the best time with it and they were learning skills with it. And we thought maybe this could become something that could make a difference because you're using your like when i was at hopeways i said we had that cooking class the um whatever the name of it was i'm not a i enjoy cooking Mm -hmm. i don't like it but when someone tells me what to do it's laid out so for at hopeway they had the food laid out there's instructions but i was able to use my hands cook something learn about it see a final product Mm -hmm. taste it it was rewarding right Mm -hmm. where at home Mm -hmm. i'm cooking 
because I have to eat. You know, it's a difference <laughs> yeah, right, from right. I generally eat out. I shouldn't, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we started thinking, you know, perhaps we can really um, teach baking as a way to teach job skills. And not only teach baking skills, but teach, you know, things like how do you follow directions? How do you see a, a baking? How do you see a recipe from start to finish? Which is tough. Mm-hmm. I'm, right. It's challenging for me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So uh, we started um, thinking that perhaps we could really start using this in mm-hmm. a way to um, not just teach people in our home, but perhaps we could, you know, be in a kitchen, like a commercial kitchen, something that could simulate a real job environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we started looking for a real kitchen to get beyond our home. And what year was this when y'all started looking for the kitchen? Uh, 2019. So 2019, yes. Yeah, so we decided to incorporate as a nonprofit in uh, April of 2019. Had you- had, did y'all have the name Cakeables already, or maybe I'm jumping ahead? I don't. No, I think no. it was probably about February of 2019. Yeah. Okay. So, and I don't know if you remember at Carmel, um, Pastor Alex did a series on the Able Life. Was this in 2019? Uh, yeah, it would have been 2019. I, I so, was, that's the year I was in yeah. all the rehouse away. Yeah. So, so I'm sure my mom he told talked me about, about it. the Able Life. So if you look at the word Cakeable, mm-hmm. it's a play on the word of cake. And able. Not just sound like ah. capable. And it's so it's not say, because it, yeah, it's so it's you know, I think the Lord just put it on Renee's <laughs> it just mind in our head to one just day. come together. Kind of just like the rabbit hole capable. show. Just mm-hmm. yeah. It's kind of a play yeah. on capable. <clears throat> yeah. You know, we believe that the individuals that we serve are capable. Everyone's capable of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just do their work in a different way and with different abilities. Yeah, with the right support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so we spent from 2019, so we spent about 18 months trying to find a kitchen. Um, there happened to be this thing called a pandemic in the middle of it. So I don't, that know, what that, I don't know what that fun. was. <laughs> wasn't fun. Um, but then in uh, September of 2020, Renee mm-hmm. got an email from a local organization just down the street from here that was looking for bakers to rent kitchen space. Mm. And at the time it was, Probably, uh, I don't know, a tenth of what we were looking at renting space at some other organizations, commissary kitchens around town. And so we decided, well, you know, maybe we can, you know, take this on. And so we started with three students Mm -hmm. and uh, just baking a couple of days a week in a uh, commercial bakery kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to teach some job skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's how it all started. So. Uh, now we have uh, 14 team members who have special needs. Um, so, th- when you say team members, because John was just saying you were teaching them, mm-hmm. so team members, because I was just at, you know, uh, Quail Hollow Country uh-huh. Club, and yeah. y'all were on the 17th oh, right. or yeah. 17th, yeah. I think, uh, or 14th, 16th. We're on 16th. The, we were on 16th. the 16th tea yeah. box. Tea yeah. box. Yeah. I didn't see y'all that day, but yeah. you go from teaching kids, uh-huh. teaching yeah. you know our friends mm-hmm. how to cook to yeah, yeah, we got an to having team to, members, yeah. as you said. Yeah. yeah, so we had an opportunity to take our students and employees out to the Wells Fargo Pro Am, uh, so they got to serve. Their baked goods to the pros and the amateurs, which was a blast. But and yeah, Roy like, Williams, how did we get to this they, point? Y'all see Roy Williams? He we came, did. We did. That, yeah. And I love the tournament Pro Am Day. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed this year with the celebrities and all that. Yeah. 
But I was yeah. the only one I was excited about was for yeah. uh, Roy Williams and Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm glad yeah. y'all got to see yeah. that. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I missed them. I came out a little late. Um, yeah, that was really fun. But yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so we have, um, we started out with three students. Um, eventually, we got to the point where uh, we were selling our baked goods so that uh, we were earning our nonprofit was earning revenue mm-hmm. uh, and also also being supported by wonderful people mm-hmm. uh, who believed in uh, what our students could do and uh, just chose to give generously to capable. So uh, that put us in a place where we could turn our students into employees. Mm-hmm. So um, and what, how long was that like from going to students to turning into a profit to where they could become employees pretty quickly actually because yeah. you know um god just does amazing things like that um kendall carrick was our first student she started with us in october of 2020 and then by april of 2021 mm-hmm. we were able to make her capable's first employee uh, she's still with y'all today she is mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to get her on the show. Oh my get, goodness, she's amazing! Come in, come into the, come into the. <laughs> yeah, uh, she would love it. The uh, bakery one day yeah. and yeah. interview For some sure. of them. Yeah, come on over um, because she, she loves. Um, she is actually um, her job title is a production and public relations assistant. Because that's what she does really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a great yeah. ambassador for all people who live with Down syndrome, and uh, she's a wonderful ambassador for Capable. Uh, so we um, love all of our team members, and they are so capable. Mm-hmm. They um, just amaze us uh, with what they're able to do uh, with the delicious baked goods that they uh, produce. And um, because of God's goodness to us, we're going to be opening up a cafe. Uh, later this year in Uptown Charlotte. So uh, we just stand back and watch what God has done. We know that he's able to do more with one breath than we can do in years of striving. And he has truly just done great things. And where is y'all's, for listeners, where is y'all's brick and mortar? Where can people come in to support y'all get cakes yeah. and then where will y'all's yeah. uptown location be when you open and when will that be opening yeah so right now we our bakery does not have a storefront okay um we do sell our baked goods uh wholesale at julia's cafe mm-hmm. uh, which is part of the habitat for humanity restore uh, we also sell that's out of, on or windover yeah correct mm-hmm. right yep. literally right across mm-hmm. yep. as yep. you yep. said okay mm-hmm. yeah yep. on north windover that's right Yep. Across from the Home Depot for listeners, kind of, right? Yep. So we have our baked goods there. Uh, We also sell at one of the coffee bars at CPCC. And um, we sell at the Uptown Farmer's Market about two Saturdays a month. So that's on Saturdays, the Farmer's Market. Right. Yeah, it's on Davidson. It's in the uh, First Baptist Church parking lot uptown. So four acres of free parking and uh, probably about 30. It's a great Farmer's Market. Yeah, probably about 30 different vendors there. Uh, Every Saturday, we're only able to be there about... About twice a month. Twice a month. Um, but then the cafe, we're working on it right now. We're trying to get the construction plans finalized, but it's going to be at 401 North Tryon Street in the old Transamerica building. Okay. Um, so it's just north of Discovery Place. It's between 7th and 8th Street. Yeah. Um, we're planning to open the cafe sometime between October and November of, of this year. 2023. Of 2023. So coming very soon. Yeah. Yes. So it's what, five months? soon so enough. 
It cannot come <laughs> yeah. soon enough. And that's going to be a brick and mortar. People can walk right. in, that's right. order. and mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be a coffee shop that'll serve our baked goods. Um, we'll be able to serve. Uh, we'll have 34 uh, trainees in our first program. Um, and that program is designed to train probably around 32 to 34 baristas in the coffee shop. But then the idea is to launch them out into the community to be able to get jobs at other coffee shops, at other you know, retail stores, you know, um, bakeries, other places where they can get, um, you know, those, you know, kind of like a, a Jim Noble at King's kitchen where he brings in the homeless, teaches them that fine trade of service and then sends them out or like at Charlotte rescue mission where I work, they have the six month life skills at community matters. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards they can go out and get that. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I mean, they're, normal human beings just mm-hmm. like us and right. you know they have to live their lives just like mm-hmm. us you know life doesn't stop right um and they need to you know be able to provide for themselves mm-hmm. um they just have to do it in a different way yeah and thankfully they have you know capables to um you know provide that form so how long is um, you said a kind of a trainee class. How long will the program be for? So we anticipate it'll probably be somewhere around six or seven months, maybe mm-hmm. a little longer. Um, we're going to have information sessions this summer, um, probably late summer. We're mm-hmm. going to have information yeah. sessions. Um, as Renee put it at four, four points of the compass, we're going to have one in North Charlotte, one in South Charlotte, one in East Charlotte, and one in West Charlotte so to try and say the four you mean eventually you want to have four cafes? No, or? just we want to get the message about our program to those air to all the those areas, areas of okay. Charlotte. Right. Because what we want to do is draw in the trainees from where their community is. Let's Correct. say they live off Albemarle Road or let's say they live in the university area. What we want to do is bring them in, train them. And then launch them back into their own to communities where they can then thrive and help their right. other friends. Yeah. And- Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of what we're trying to do is is really to, you know, not just because right now the program is a lot word of mouth. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of folks that we which know, which a lot of things start know, that way, and right. and now we want to make sure that we're intentional about getting the word out to different communities around Charlotte that you know may not have an opportunity to hear about Correct. us in any other way. So, so how can people that are listening that have a child or friend that special needs Mm -hmm. how can they reach out or get involved and to become a part of the program or even listeners to support y'all's um you know nonprofit capables how can people you know contact y'all whether it's Mm -hmm. to donate support or you know to get involved in the program for an individual themselves uh so our website is we are capable org. Uh, we just uh, introduced a, a newly designed website that we're excited about. So that's wearecapable.org. Um, <clears throat> we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, uh, we are capable. And um, anyone who's interested in knowing more can always email us um, at hello at wearecapable.org. Hello, we are capable. Org. Hello at we are capable. Hello at. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so before we end, I ask every guest for advice. Um, and I always kind of ask it on the spot advice that has 
just helped you through life, whether it's been given to you by coach, parent, something you learned yesterday, but just mm. something that a listener, um, you know, can, can hear and use and listen, but just something that's helped you through life. I think the thing I'll let you think on yours, but I think the <laughs> okay, thing that good. I've learned is if you look back at our, at our lives, both individually and collectively in our married life, that there's not a single thing that has happened in our lives that was a mistake mm-hmm. or that was an accident, mm-hmm. that there was a purpose. If you think back to Renee's story, she was a special ed teacher in the early 90s. Right. And now all of a sudden, full circle over 20 years later, she's now back to teaching individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities how to bake. And over that time... <laughs> It just that there's there's no mistake in God's timing in and we everything that we've experienced, both words positive or negative, have had an impact on everything that we've done in some form or fashion. And that's the thing that I think about is, you know, Renee was like, I don't know how I'll ever use this counseling or you know, I don't know how I'll ever use this. Well, did you know special ed? <laughs> You know, but all along that journey, it's it's helping yeah. to write that story that none of us could write on our own. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what advice, yeah. great advice now, Renee, what yeah, that was very advice <laughs> would you have? And y'all have given a lot of advice, mm-hmm. but advice that just comes to your mind. Yeah. The one thing that comes right to my mind right away is um, <clears throat> just something something that I had to fundamentally um, change my thinking when it came to my relationship with the Lord. Um, And I had spent so much of my life um, with this complete misunderstanding of what grace means. Mm. And for so much of my life, just through my perfectionism, through my people-pleasing, through my uh, just inability to give up control of things, um, I lived in such a way, even in my relationship with God, as if I was trying to achieve grace, which in and of itself doesn't make any sense because grace is something that can only be received. It cannot be achieved. So um, that's something that I, you know, even now I'm just constantly reminding myself of that, that grace is only received. It's not achieved. And if I live my life that way with that kind of posture that, you know, I'm wholly dependent upon the Lord and how he sees me now as a child of God. Um, he sees me through the blood of Christ and he completely, um, accepts me and loves me and will not leave me, you know, on that basis of what Jesus has done for me, that is grace. It's not me achieving and accomplishing these things. Um, it doesn't matter how successful capable is mm-hmm. or, you know, what we ever accomplish on our own. It's just everything is a gift of his grace and it has to be received. Yeah, because I think I began to understand what grace was um, my last arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, the state picked up charges, but there was a guy involved who I, I've talked about in previous episodes. And if he had pressed charges, I would have been in prison 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason he decided not to press any charges. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have had assault, yeah. the deadly weapon causing great bodily harm, a lot of stuff, right. <clears throat> a list of felonies. 
I don't know why he didn't press charges, but in that moment when I was, you know, getting switched over to my transport vehicle to be taken to jail and they were telling me my charges, they said, your buddy's not pressing charges. And I literally looked at the cop and said, what the hell? Like, I pulled a gun on him. Mm. I beat the crap out of him. He had to go to the hospital. Mm. That's not who I am. But in that moment, I did that. If he pressed charges, I understand. I did that. Mm -hmm. The cop was like, he showed you mercy and grace. And in that moment, I was able to be like, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's when I started to understand. I mean, a month, two months later. You know, the Lord smacked me and really woke me up what I needed and showed me grace and mercy then. Wow. But it started two months prior because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have overdosed two months later. I would have been in prison for 20 years, Mm -hmm. not able to sit here and have this conversation. And I was at that point, I knew my life was destined for prison, Mm -hmm. the way I was living, who Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with. But I didn't know what grace and mercy was. I'd heard of it. I've been raised in the church, my family. I always had a foot in you know, the church religion. But that was when I really started to understand what God's grace and mercy was because that changed the trajectory of my life. 20 years in prison I would have had, but you know, so, um, well, I just want to thank y'all for, you know, your vulnerability, um, talking about your anorexia, Mm -hmm. y'all's marriage and, you know, the blessing that is turned into because, you know, every story is messy, but um, there's a positive, I believe, in every messy Mm -hmm. story. And, you know, thankfully, we're here talking about Cakeables and what y'all are doing, um, you know, with our friends in Charlotte and, you know, the four corners, city Mm -hmm. areas um, and teaching them a trade and able for them to go out and live their lives. So thank you all just for your vulnerability and, you know, your time to sit down and share your story. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Yes. Thank you all for tuning in this week to the rabbit hole show. Um, If you want to sit down, share your story, you want to come on and share your story uh, on an episode, uh, please reach out text social media or our email that no one seems to use but i do check it uh the rabbit hole show 21 at gmail.com uh thank y'all love y'all and stay tuned for next week